This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. There we go. It is a big Thursday night, big Thursday here on Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network after a beautiful day in the Palmetto State. And we hope you had a great day and you're heading home, you're driving. We appreciate you jumping over here to Sports Talk or maybe you just held over from your previous program on this Sports Talk affiliate. Whatever the case may be, we're happy to have you with us. If you're listening to us over one of our affiliates or catching us on one of our streams, the Chief Sports app, great place to go. I was looking at it the other day. Very simple way to find us. Simply download the Chief Sports app. It's a free app, and you have got uh, a, a two-push a two experience. So you have to push two buttons, push it twice, and you've got us. And the other, here's a bonus. Here is a bonus for you with the Chief Sports app. For those of you who want to hear great um, news and political talk all day long, the app streams our affiliate here in Columbia, The Point Radio. And so now you can listen to uh, Kevin Cohen in the morning, in the afternoon, and everything else in between simply by downloading the Chief Sports app. You'll have access to that as well as, of course, sports talk during our time slot between 6 and 8. So, uh, we have a busy, busy show. Coming up shortly, uh, Mike Morgan will join us about 6.15, 6.18. He is on location tonight. He's preparing for a weekend of play-by-play. He's got basketball. He's got NFL football. So we'll hear from him. Ben Portnoy at uh, 6.35 with the Port Authority coming off a visit to Penn State last weekend. And he's right in the middle of all that stuff going on, Penn State and Michigan. Michigan, by the way, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, uh, they have, uh, well, the Big Ten, the Big Ten, Michigan, and and Harbaugh, they all reached uh, an agreement today where uh, any any lawsuits that were being pursued, anything like that's now being dropped, and Harbaugh has agreed to the two-game suspension imposed. So it was three games, now it's down to two games. So that seems to be settled for now. All right. Uh, and then at um, 7.35, Will and the Thrill. And comments tonight from a couple of uh, players, Vershawn Lee of the Gamecocks, offensive lineman. I mean, I think one thing you got to like about South Carolina right now after their uh, last two weeks, and that is they are uh, they're getting their offensive line together, kind of similar to last year when the offensive line just sort of uh, morphed together uh, late in the year and, and helped the Gamecocks finish up strongly. Well, now they're getting healthy on the offensive line. Do you realize, I didn't realize this until I looked it up, that the Gamecocks have started 10 different offensive linemen. At least 10 different offensive linemen have started at least one game this season. And, of course, the last two weeks, the first time that they have had the same starting five in the same positions in consecutive weeks. I mean, that's, that's tough on an offense 
when you have that kind of turnover on your offensive line. Okay? Now they're getting healthy. They're using the same players. And the future, the future is bright for that offensive line, I would say, because you've got two true freshmen who are starting now. Uh, you've got, um, I think, several of the veterans plan to return for another year. They recruited well for this this freshman class that is in school now, and they've recruited well for the next class on the offensive line. So South Carolina's offensive line should be, should be a strength of this team uh, moving forward in 2024. And now they're just hoping that they can hold together and come together um, here the rest of this season and help them win out and, uh, you know, get the, the six – the six games, the six wins necessary to uh, to make it to the uh, to the bowl season. All right, and then from Clemson, we're going to hear from uh, Tiger running back Will Shipley, who met with the media this week. Of course, interesting things going on with him, with his head injury, his neck injury. Uh, he was asked about his future plans. Does he plan to uh, remain at Clemson, go somewhere else? You hear all that uh, coming up as well. So we got all that and recruiting. Uh, to bring your way. And our phone number, 888-898-2525. South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. And, of course, we've got basketball going on. We've got uh, the ESPN tournaments. We've got the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic, obviously in Charleston. And you've got the Myrtle Beach Invitational over at Coastal Carolina. So right now, Wichita State and Coastal Carolina Seven oh five to go in that one. Wichita State leads the Shauna Clear seventy to sixty six. That's been a very good ball game uh, throughout. Earlier today, the College of Charleston uh, playing in Myrtle Beach, and they fell short to Vermont seventy three sixty four. So not a good shooting day from the outside for the Cougars. This was kind of weird. If you're watching television, as I was, I think it was on ESPNU. So they were showing the Charleston-Vermont game from Myrtle Beach. And, I mean, as soon as that game was over, once the announcers qu- uh, quickly wrapped up, they cut to the St. John's-North Texas game in Charleston on the Cougars' court. So you went from watching the Cougars playing in Myrtle Beach to watching two other teams playing on their court in Charleston. Just kind of a, an odd transition for those of us who were watching, as I see it. Uh, what else is going on basketball-wise? Uh, you've got over in Charleston, LSU is leading Dayton 62-56. to 56. And tonight in Columbia, it's the next battle in the uh, Palmetto Series. It's the South Carolina women against the Clemson women, tipping off a little bit after 7 o'clock at the Colonial Life Arena. In South Carolina, of course, a huge favorite here. But this will be, a, I think, kind of a litmus test for Clemson. How far have they come as a program under Amanda Butler when you measured yourself against the best? Are the Tigers going to be competitive in this game against South Carolina? They have not been competitive, of course, over the recent years. And so we'll see how that, how that plays out tonight. Also tonight, you've got Liberty playing Furman, and that is going to be in Myrtle Beach. Uh, We've got North Greenville playing at the Citadel tonight. And let's see uh, what else we've got uh, going on. Um, 
Oh, there's football tonight as well. There's ACC football. You've got Boston College and uh, Pittsburgh uh, getting at it tonight. So we got plenty of stuff going on on the schedule and plenty of things to talk about, including uh, a pretty long uh, and detailed recruiting report uh, coming your way uh, tonight. So, again, just to go over the basketball that's coming up, South Carolina women, Clemson, Furman playing Liberty, uh, Presbyterian playing at North Florida tonight, uh, Citadel home to North Greenville, uh, and I mentioned the other games that are going on right now. Also, something else uh, to mention from today that uh, kind of caught my eye. Phone number 888-898-2525. That's the number you can reach us on here on Sports Talk. Uh, ESPN obtained a letter to the NCAA from a law firm engaged by the Virginia Attorney General. Called it. That threatens legal action if JMU's exclusion from bowl consideration isn't reversed. They call this, he calls this, the attorney calls this an injustice that transcends athletics and should not be allowed to stand, which I find hard to understand because, I mean, these teams that transitioned from FCS to Division One, they know the rules. So how can you, what is their argument? The NCAA has not imposed anything on James Madison that is not in their rules not being imposed on the other teams that are transitioning. So what is their – what's the legal precedence or their argument? We're that doing this because illegal. we're undefeated? No, because the rule is – they're arguing the rule was illegal and never should have been in place. And just because the NCAA puts a rule in place, it, it, it still has to follow all United States laws. And I, I'm not an attorney. I would love to have Jim Corbett on and ask him about it. But in my mind, it's – and I've been saying this for weeks now, is it seems very similar to the NIL argument from the players, and I wonder if it doesn't violate antitrust laws or something along those lines. Because now the NCAA, this rule is restricting JMU's ability to make a profit. They're restricting their ability to make potentially five, ten million dollars $10 in postseason between the various sports, and I can't help but feel that that might— the argument I would think from the attorney general is that it violates some kind of U.S. law. I'm just kind of thinking antitrust. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I hear that. I, I hear what you're saying. I wonder about this. The, the NCAA is a voluntary organization. You volunteer to be a member. Uh, I mean, if you don't like it, you can go play in the NAIA, or you can just be an independent and just play outside the league. You volunteer to go into the NCAA, and this is what I don't understand. If you volunteer – to play under somebody's rules, then all of a sudden a rule that you don't like because this situation – if James Madison were 6-5 and five or 4-6 and six or you know, not necessarily a lock for a bowl game, would we be having this discussion? Probably wouldn't be coming into play. Now, 6-5 and five maybe because they would still lose out on that bowl. But again, yes, it may be a voluntary organization, but that doesn't mean that organization can break federal law. The rules in place still have to follow the law of the land. But we don't – that's the question. I mean, is right. That's the question. Are they breaking federal law? Is the all of a sudden? I mean, they aren't the first team to transition. Um, neither is Jacksonville State. Neither is Tarleton State, and they're in the same boat. I don't know that they are are pursuing legal action like James Madison, and they're not the first to transition from FCS to FBS. There's been a bunch of those. Why all of a sudden now? Because you're having a great year. Uh, is this you know? Here's part of my problem. You agreed to join the NCAA under their rules. And it's like any organization. Now all of a sudden you want to 
turn the apple cart over to fit your needs because you've got a particular situation that's cropped up. Nobody else has had a problem with it that I'm aware of to this point. Now, all of a sudden, because you're 9-0 and and you feel like you're going to be, be denied going to the to – the, where does the Sun Belt champion go? They go to the New Orleans Bowl. You want to go to the New Orleans Bowl, you know, now you've got to cause a lawsuit and all this ruckus and, and, and disrupt everything that um, nobody else has had a problem with. Right, but you hit the nail on the head. This, this exact situation may have never arisen in the past. Typically, teams that move up aren't this successful this fast. Typically, teams take uh, longer. Marshall, I believe, was fairly successful right out of the gate. But and I think, I think, I think Liberty, they had a receiver named Randy Moss. Wasn't Liberty one that when they made the move, weren't they? I think they actually were. So maybe, in, so maybe this is more of a recent phenomenon. But again, just because a rule's always been there doesn't mean it, it was right throughout history. Again, I, I point back to the NIL. I mean, players have been screaming to be allowed to make a living for my entire life, probably most of your entire life. I mean, I'd say going back decades upon decades, it's just people finally figured out a way to actually legally attack the NCAA and challenge that in court. And I can't help but wonder if the same thing is happening here. Teams in the past may have just taken it on the chin and never had the guts to actually go after the NCAA. And again, we've talked about it on the show. The NCAA has never been weaker in the history of that organization. And I think in 2020, we all saw just how toothless the NCAA is and they opened themselves up to be vulnerable to lawsuits like this. I don't think anybody's afraid of them anymore. They're no longer the big bully in the room. Well, I've, you may be right. You may be right, but they are still they are still the authority, quote-unquote, over college athletics. Uh, and until they're done away with, and, and until they uh, rewrite the record book, if you're a voluntary member of that organization, then you should follow the rules. And you knew this going in. This is, I mean... My complaint is you knew when you, whatever documents you had to sign, and I'm sure it was explained to them, you have an X number of years transition period where you can't participate in a bowl game because we're trying to prevent the money grab from the lower level uh, moving up to the upper level for that reason alone. And now you agree to it, and now you're fighting it. Be right back. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. We're with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is hunting season in South Carolina this fall, and folks need to be prepared from a legal standpoint. That's right, Phil. Everyone always needs to buy their hunting license or fishing license. Everyone always worries about losing their license. Well, now that's not a problem anymore because you can keep your license on your phone. That's right. Go Outdoors SC. It's an app. Look for it on your Apple or Android devices. You can buy your license. You can renew your boat registration, and it's all right there on your phone. Remember, Go Outdoors SC in your app store. Your home is where your memories live. It's where you laugh and where you love. We understand the importance of the valuables under your roof, tangible and intangible alike. So no matter what's around the corner, we'll be there, offering you and your family the support that's made Farm Bureau Insurance a trusted name for nearly 70 years. You deserve more. You deserve a promise. Learn more at scfbins.com. Call me. Alex Satterfield at 803-749-9171 for all of your Midlands insurance needs. 
George Bryan for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor, David Abernathy, has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar and training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Looking for a way to fight back against inflation? One viable way to help your money stay relevant during inflation is through investing. To a new investor, investing can feel like a puzzle. With so many pieces to consider, it can be hard to know where to start. But with the right guidance along the way, you can put the pieces together to create a winning strategy. That's where Founders Investment Services come in. Our team of financial advisors can help you navigate the complexities of investing and create a personalized plan that fits your goals and risk tolerance. We'll work with you to identify the pieces of your puzzle and how they fit into your financial future. When you're ready to find the pieces to your financial plan, call 866-739-7064 to speak with one of our specialists or visit foundersfcuinvestments.com to learn about how we can help you identify the key pieces to your financial plans. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC, and not NCUA insured. Not guaranteed by credit union and may lose value. This year's Carolina and Clemson Jackpot $5 scratch-off tickets give you a chance to win up to $200,000, whether you're a Gamecock or a Tiger. Plus, you can enter your tickets into the Second Chance promotion for a chance to step on the field or the court to win $50,000, $75,000, or even $100,000. In this state, winning the Palmetto Series does matter that much, so get your tickets today. See SCEducationLottery.com for odds and details. Winning and non-winning tickets can be entered. Second Chance odds depend on number of entries received. All right, let's get right to him. Mike Morgan here with us now. Morgan on the move. Got to get Mike in here tight. Brought to you by State Farm agent Gary Patterson. For 35 years, Gary has been serving the real estate needs from Lugolf to Lexington, Columbia to Blythewood. Auto, home, life insurance, and business insurance can all be handled by Gary. When Gary isn't refereeing ACC football games, he's spending countless hours helping South Carolinians with all their insurance needs and making a difference in the community. Go check out GaryPatterson.net today, and Gary will go over the best plans for you and your family. That's GaryPatterson.net. 
Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. No hassles, no all-day runarounds, no ridiculous add-on stickers. At Love Chevy, buying a car is fun. South Carolina's number one volume Chevy dealer. I-26 at Harbison and at lovechevy.com. Find new roads. All right, we welcome in Mike Morgan. Morgan on the move with us here on Sports Talk. He is down in Gainesville, Florida. He's got basketball tomorrow. He's got NFL football this weekend before we continue this uh, promotional tour for Mike Morgan. For those of you not listening, here is Mike on the call Sunday. It was the Ravens. It was the Ravens. It was the Ravens and the... The Browns. Ravens and the Browns. <laughs> Ravens and the Browns. And and there's a couple of familiar names involved here. Hit it. Watson. Pocket crumbles and down goes Deshaun Watson. It's going to be a loss of four on the play. Jadavion Clowney with a sack. The 48th career sack for the former All-American out of South Carolina. Watson avoiding a sack, now goes down from behind. That'll be the second sack for Jadavion Clowney. And the NFL's number one team in sacks has a couple more today, a loss of one on the play. And little did we know that that would be the last game of the year for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a shame because uh, what you didn't hear in that uh that montage was Watson went 14 for 14 in the second half and probably played the best football he's played in about three, four years. Um, and at that point you're thinking, cause the Browns have a, an unbelievably talented defense. They've got some uh, good receivers like uh, Amari Cooper. It's like an SEC all-star game, but you know, it was, it was Deshaun Watson of Clemson. And then it was, Everywhere you look, Roquan Smith had 18 tackles in that game, the former Georgia linebacker. Amari, uh, excuse me, Odell Beckham caught a touchdown pass, uh, former LSU Tiger. Uh, they were just all over. Uh, Miles Garrett, who might be the defensive MVP, former Texas A&M Aggie. Uh, it's crazy just kind of seeing all these names. And I've got the 49ers this weekend, so I'll see one Debo Samuel. Clowney, two sacks. With the Ravens, yeah. is he reinventing himself? You know, I, I look, nobody's going to say that he's the same Jadavion Clowney as he was when he was 24. It's his 10th year in the league, which is kind of hard to believe. I mean, the time really flies. Uh, but I can tell you this, he, he's and when he's healthy, he's still a very effective pass rusher. And he's not, he doesn't have to be the guy on that defense. Like I mentioned, they have Rokon Smith, they have Patrick Queen out of LSU, uh, they've got defensive linemen that can, he's basically in a three, four, he's, he's an outside linebacker in their scheme. Uh, and it is weird seeing him wear number 24, mm. but, uh, but he, he can certainly provide, if nothing else, he can provide a pass rush and a couple other tackles in that game. He, he was, he was effective on, uh, against the run, but we all know why, why he's out there at this point. And that's to put heat on the quarterback. All right. And you've got basketball tomorrow night. What you got on the agenda? Yeah, Florida, Florida State. You know, it's it's that time of year. Uh, I know Carolina Clemson will be tipping off uh, in the next week or so. And uh, if, if you want to get interest on in the middle, smack dab in the middle of football season, this is the way to do it. You play the games on a Friday night. Uh, if your fan base is at home for football on Saturday, you get a lot more 
with the crowd and the gate. Um, I, I just think it's much better than playing it like on a, on a Tuesday in mid-December. Uh, and we all know it's not going to be played during conference play. They don't do that kind of thing anymore. So I think it's smart for the um, for the teams to do this. And, you know, Florida is uh, now under Coach Golden under his second year going up against Florida State. Leonard Hamilton feels like he's been there for about 100 years. Mm. Uh, and they had an off year last year in Tallahassee. So it'll be a, a great environment, great crowd, and another chance to see a little – SEC ACC showdown. And you're dining at the Spurriers tonight. Not not the house, but the the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if Steve would invite me to the house, but he might be at the restaurant. It's a it's only about a year old here in Gainesville and it's it's outstanding and a ton of memorabilia from both Florida, Duke, and South Carolina. Yeah, I can imagine. Mike, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next Thanks, week. Mike. You too, guys. Be Mike well. Morgan, Morgan on the move. Be right back. I want you to want me. Back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network here on this big Thursday night. Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel here in Columbia, Chris Bergen off with the Coastal Carolina basketball team. They're in action as we speak. Give you a quick update on what's happening there in Myrtle Beach and what the uh, Chanticleers, what they're trying to uh, do is knock off Wichita State, and uh, that game has gone final. Wichita State has won it, 86-77. Dayton has beaten LSU in Charleston, 70-67. Earlier today in Myrtle Beach, St. Louis over Wyoming, 79-69. And earlier today in Charleston, St. John's beat North Texas, 53-52. Earlier today in Myrtle Beach, Vermont beat Charleston, 73-64. Okay, and Furman Liberty coming up over there in Myrtle Beach. Presbyterian and North Florida playing tonight down in Jacksonville. Okay, it is now time for this week's edition of the Port Authority... Starring Ben Portnoy with the Sports Business Journal. You might know him better from his time with the state newspaper covering the Gamecocks. Now he covers the world. The world of sports, the world of business, how they mesh, and how they sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes they work well together and sometimes they blow up. Ben, how are you? It's great to have you with us once again. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me as always. Last week, you were up at uh, Penn State, Penn State in Michigan. What was that experience like? You know, it's funny. Like, now that I'm traveling a little bit more outside of the SEC and, and seeing a few new places, it's been really fun to kind of be able to compare and, and contrast some of the experiences I've had in, in the SEC to elsewhere. But it was my first time in State College. Uh, obviously, a rocking atmosphere. I was out there early with the uh, big noon kickoff folks and, and catching up with them. And it was a really great crowd for the pregame show, for the tailgate fields. I mean, it was rocking early and obviously it was a noon kickoff. So people were, uh, people were up early and getting going, but it was, uh, it was really cool. I mean, for anyone who hasn't been to Penn State College, been to Penn State, it's, uh, you know, a little bit of a tricky spot to get to with, uh, with where it's situated, but 
it is as good as an atmosphere as I've ever seen and, and stacked up with, you know, right there at the top with, uh, with anywhere in America. I mean, it's really, really something. Yep. And you were stepping right into the Harbaugh situation as that was being played out, kind of. That was being played out. Funny uh, that uh, he was uh, uh, there in State College uh, with the team on the tarmac when they told him he had been suspended for three games, and that suspension now has been uh, agreed to and upheld and all that. So you had that drama going on. And then, you know, once again, Penn State coming up short in the Big Ten, James Franklin, soon after the game, fires his offensive coordinator. So, you were kind of right in the middle of all of it there. Yeah, it was it, it was kind of a crazy day. You know, got into State College sort of early in the morning um, on, I guess, what was that, Friday, uh, and was kind of waiting for things to shake out, waiting for Michigan to get there. Uh, Michigan obviously flies in. They have that kind of congregation on the tarmac, uh, and they're kind of alerted of the news of what was going on and, and that Harbaugh had, had been suspended and, you know, Michigan trying to file an injunction that they were hoping would get ruled on uh, before the game. It did not, obviously. So it, it was really interesting watching the whole thing unfold in real time because uh, I think that, you know, most of us in state college, talking with some of the other national reporters, I think, you know, most people expected that Jim was going to coach that game. Uh, obviously, that did not happen. Uh, the Big Ten kind of lined it up when you know, you unpack some of the layers of it on a uh, it's Veterans Day on Friday. There probably aren't a too many uh, too many uh, judges around to be able to deal with an injunction on a federal holiday uh, and all of that. So the way that the Big Ten played it, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for that kind of thing. And uh, obviously, led the gym not coaching the game. And you know, now it's the news coming out today that he's uh, he's accepted a three game suspension from the Big Ten. So uh, I don't know that this is necessarily put to rest. There's still the NCAA investigation that has to play out. That will certainly take longer. Uh, and I think the Big Ten is obviously a part of that, but I, I do think that at least for the time being, barring you know, I say this and probably something crazy, and we'll find out that Connor Stallions is at like 67 other games tomorrow or something like that. But uh, I think that you know, for now, this is uh, slowly settling down a little bit. I think Michigan is uh, is happy to be uh, to be playing winning football and, and also just be playing football. What about the situation there in uh, State College with James Franklin? Are people starting to get a little bit antsy there? Uh, like I said, he fired his offensive coordinator. So when coaches start feeling the heat, they start firing coordinators. So does that buy him a little bit more time with the fan base? Are they still understanding about his situation there and what he's trying to do? You know, James Franklin's in a really interesting spot because I think that the expectation has always been, you know, obviously the Penn State fans want them to be able to compete with, with Michigan and Ohio State. And Certainly, there's, they've won a couple of those games, but I think I can't remember exactly now. But I think it's James Franklin is now is now three and fourteen or somewhere in that realm uh, against Michigan and Ohio State in his time in State College. And you know, there's been some really competitive games, some really close calls, and and this past Saturday was one of those, right? Like this was a game that the Penn State defense gave them a chance. It's that the offense was just so anemic and couldn't get anything going that Michigan just kind of took the air out of the ball. I mean. Ran the ball what thirty straight, thirty two straight times, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. Uh, if you don't count the uh, don't count the passing play in there that got uh, th- there was a penalty, so it technically doesn't count in the stat sheet. So it's uh, I, I think that I, I, James Franklin look, like to be clear, James Franklin's not feeling the heat. Like he's not about to get fired, nothing like that. But I do think that there's the question of you run into a situation of okay, the Big Ten is going to get tougher with USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon joining the fold next year. Penn State's pretty clearly the number three team in the league right now behind Ohio State and Michigan. 
where do they fit in kind of this new Big Ten? I think that, you know, certainly Penn State fans, obviously after, you know, the mess of the, the Sandusky scandal and all of that and sort of where the program was at that point due to scholarship issues and things like that um, from the NCAA and, and all of the things that came with that, you know, there's been some really low lows. And I think you get to the point of like, it's sort of the Nebraska Bo Pelini situation, right? When you're winning eight, nine, 10 games a year and people say, oh, you should be winning more. What, what do you do? And I think that, you know, it's just kind of the reality for Penn State right now. They're a 10-win football team with some flaw, with a really great defense and a really flawed offense. And I think that, you know, Iowa is probably a similar type deal, right? Like, it, it's a team that probably has a little bit of a ceiling, but I think that people expect a little bit more of. But it's, a, it's hard to – I think it's really hard to look at Penn State and say, hey, we're expecting something different. Hey, we're expecting them to win this game. Um, until they really do it. And I think that that's coincided with Michigan taking a step forward. It's coincided with Ohio State taking a step forward. And I think it's just, it's made that gap really tricky. And I think this was, oh, there's a lot of folks around State College who thought this might be the team to, to close that gap a little bit. And, and obviously, you know, went 0-2 in those, uh, in for lack of a better term, kind of their two-game season. Sure. Ben Portnoy with us here, the Port Authority. Uh, you're keeping an eye on things with uh, what's left of the Pac-12, Pac-10 Pack four, pack two, whatever it's down to now, uh, and they're dealings with the Mountain West and trying to uh, put together kind of a um, de facto league out there. And also, they're trying to collect a whole bunch of money from those who are leaving uh, the old conference. What do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, as my uh, and my personal favorite name is the uh, two pack or Tupac, uh, yeah. and what's left of what's left of the Pac twelve. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, no, it's a, it's a pretty crazy situation. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that look at sort of what's going on and see all these course cases and injunctions, and there's a lot of legalese going on with, with the Pac-12 and, and sort of the two remaining schools and the 10 departing schools. But I, I think the super short version and the reason people should pay attention to it is that you've basically got this giant chunk of, that chunk of money, and I think the understanding from a lot of us you know, covering this was, the fight was over the money post four um, and what money, excuse me, post 2023 and what that money would, what would happen with that money that was tied up in Pac-12 media deals, et cetera, bowl tie-ins, things like that. The reality is the money that's being dealt with is the money being dealt with right now for 2023. And that number is when you t- consider bowl games, all that. I mean, you're talking about like $400 million right now. Mm. And the two schools that, are obviously left, Oregon State and Washington State want control of that. Uh, the 10 schools that are departing say, we don't want to give Oregon State and Washington State control of the Pac-12, uh, excuse me, control of the Pac-12 board uh, because they're not going to give us any of that money. And it's turned into this really interesting fight of, okay, who controls this? And, and the judge did rule last night that that for now, the uh, that Oregon State and Washington State will control it within reason, but that if they sort of deviate from sort of... Uh, the, uh, a sort of uh, play nice basically with everyone uh, that the court might jump in and step in um, with what's going on. But I, I think that that, again, ties into the fact that if Oregon State and Washington State are sitting on this huge amount of money, it gives them a chance to kind of rebuild the league. Now, I think it was Ross Dellinger who reported it today um, that the Pac-12 and the Mountain West are, are working on a scheduling agreement that could lead to a merger down the line between Oregon State and Washington State and, and the Mountain West schools that are involved uh, and I think that that'll be an interesting thing to watch just because I think that, you know, the complicating factor here has always been that the Mountain West, if schools were going to leave the Mountain West, it was going to cost them a, a 
big chunk of change for in exit fees and all of that. And would Oregon State and Washington State now armed with all this money be able to basically pay those exit fees, rebuild the league, et cetera? I don't know if there's some kind of mutually agreed upon thing where you run into a situation where instead of, you know, having the Mountain West, can the Mountain West and the two remaining Pac-12 schools join and basically co-opt the the Pac-12 logoing and, and brand and all of that? I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. I think that stuff still needs to be played out. And there's uh, certainly a lot of lawyers involved. And uh, <laughs> between between the Pac-12 and the Jim Harbaugh stuff, billable hours are uh, remain undefeated in college football. Sure. Ben, along those lines, and yes, there's still a lot more questions than answers at this point, but with next year transitioning to an expanded playoff, the 5-7 and seven model with the five Power Five conference champions and then, what, the seven next highest ranked, whatever, will make it into the 12. Is there a scenario here where there had been reports the Pac-12, specifically Washington State and Oregon State, had reached out to the Sun Belt, maybe the Mountain West, about doing kind of a quasi-independent schedule like Notre Dame does with the ACC? So those two teams would fill out their schedule with either Mountain West opponents or Sun Belt opponents or some other conference. Would there be a scenario then where the winner between Washington State and Oregon State of a quote-unquote conference championship game would get an automatic bid to each of the next two college football playoffs? Yeah, so that's a good question and, a good, and, and an interesting dynamic and, and something certainly to watch. So my understanding is it's been explained, and, and I think the college football playoff actually just passed something saying in the last couple of days or last couple of weeks, uh, saying that for a conference to get an automatic bid to the college football playoff, it's got to be at eight teams. So barring the Mountain West and Oregon State, Washington State joining within the next, you know, basically 20 minutes. They're not, <laughs> they're probably not getting into getting in an automatic qualifier. Now that said, like you said, mentioned with the scheduling piece of it, my understanding is that that's kind of how this is going to go. That Oregon State and Washington State are basically for the next two years going to attack this like independence. They're going to schedule a handful of games with Mountain West schools, try and sort of fill in the blanks where they can fill in the blanks, play each other, obviously, and kind of go from there. And I think that, you know, you'll see them basically piece together, like you said, what amounts to functionally an independent schedule now, or kind of what Notre Dame does where they've got, what is it, I guess, six, seven, eight uh, ACC games uh, that they play in addition to some of those other games, like they play against USC and others. So I I think that you'll see some variation um, that's somewhere in between kind of what Notre Dame does and a true independent schedule. Uh, And that's the, probably the most likely situation we run into uh, probably next year. But Again, I, I don't foresee them getting a uh, an automatic bid as a two-team league, which uh, would have made for really fun uh, fodder and, <laughs> and controversy, but, uh, but, but I don't think we'll be getting them, for better or worse. You know, as if college sports doesn't have enough controversies and the NCAA doesn't have enough arrows being slung <laughs> their way, but now you got James Madison and the Attorney General in Virginia now getting involved, trying to force the NCAA to allow James Madison to go to a bowl game in this year of transition when, according to the NCAA rules, you're not allowed. So who has the strongest leg to stand on here? Do you think the NCAA, which this has been, I think, a longstanding rule of theirs since the FCS was created, uh, do they do they have the, the legal authority to stop one of their own members from doing this? Or does James Madison have a real a real legal argument for saying you shouldn't be able to stop us from going to a bowl game. And I guess because they're saying, too, the bowls aren't under the auspices of the NCAA. The bowls are independent uh, uh, business operations. 
Yeah, so I'll start by saying that with as much as has gone on in the courts in the last like week, I swear I should have gone to law school with yeah. <laughs> with all that's going on. But it's uh, it's crazy. It, it's definitely interesting. I think it's an interesting dynamic as far as who controls what. Like you said, the bowl games are obviously sort of outside the jurisdiction of the NCAA, but sort of under it. And it's this kind of strange pseudo yeah. dynamic of who actually oversees the bowls. And the reality is the bowls kind of do what they want to do. Um, with the guidance of the conferences and everything else that, that's kind of tied in there through contracts and things like that. But as it relates to James Madison, I think we've seen this a couple of times, right? Like Jacksonville State was involved in this this year. There's been teams in, in, in recent years. I think Georgia Southern ran into this maybe a few years ago. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a few others yeah. uh, that have run into this situation where they've kind of overachieved quickly and not been able to qualify for a bowl game. We saw it in the NEC uh, in basketball even last year when, when Fairleigh Dickinson got into the tournament by lo- but lost their championship game, obviously upset Purdue in the first round, but but had lost to Merrimack in the cha- conference title game, um, even though Merrimack wasn't eligible for the NCAA tournament. So I, I think that we've seen this, and I think the NCAA has largely stood pat, and I can understand the idea of not wanting to open a can of worms and things like that, but I, I think it also flips to the side of you look at kind of you look at a lot of the decisions the NCAA has made in recent years, and you look at some of the, for lack of a better term, PR problems that they've had. And I think it's, again, it's one of those things that, and, and you know, I joke with, with college administrators about this all the time, is like when it comes to issues of sort of, quote unquote, like helping yourself, the NCAA tends to not help itself ever. And it's, it's this, and that's not always, but it's, it's situations like this, right, where there seems like a pretty obvious solution. And I can understand sticking to your guns, and that's part of it. So it is what it is. But I do think that there's an interesting dynamic of this felt like a pretty much a no-brainer. You look at a James Madison team that probably that, you know, frankly may run the table, may go win the Sun Belt uh, and be undefeated and would be in a position for a New Year's six spot, if not a, if not a CFP spot. Um, and it's probably not going to get that opportunity because of this, this rule that I, I think, frankly, is a little outdated. And I think that, you know, it's an unfortunate situation because I think this is a really, really good James Madison team. And I think that, you know, I am not speaking for everyone necessarily, but I do think that, you know, they deserve a chance at that. And I think it's an unfortunate resolution. We'll see what happens in the court case. Obviously, the attorney general's involved. Uh, I have my doubts about whether there's going to be anything that actually comes of it, but I think that uh, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. All right, my man. Hey, great stuff as always. Remind folks to follow you on your Twitter, which is at Ben Portnoy 15 or on your X page at Ben at, at B Portnoy <laughs> at B Portnoy 15. And of course, with the uh, Sports Business Journal, you can read uh, Ben's stuff. Where are you off to this week? Home this week, but I'm uh, I'm headed to Starkville, Mississippi next week for the Egg Bowl. So really looking forward to that. Sounds great. Look forward to talking to you next week, and we'll talk more about uh, Texas A&M, that situation, and other things happening. I'm sure there'll be a lot going on between now and then. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Ben. Ben Portnoy, the Port Authority here on Sports Talk. Also, this story that came out uh, this afternoon, I'm sh- I find this to be shocking, to be honest with you. So, Carissa Thompson who was a sideline announcer for NFL games on Fox. And she, in a podcast, admitted to completely making up NFL sideline reports. So in this story, she said in the podcast, I mean, she openly put this on a podcast that um, I've said this before. I haven't been fired to saying it, 
but I'll say it again, I would make up the report sometimes because, A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late and I didn't want to screw up the report, so I was like, I'm just going to make this up. Because, first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop hurting ourselves. We need to be better on third down. We need to stop turning the ball over and do a better job of getting off the field. They're not going to correct me on that. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll just make up the report. End of the quote. And so, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little dumbfounded. Um, now, she works for Amazon now, and she works as host for Prime Video's Thursday Night Football tonight. And they, uh, a writer, Daniel Kaplan, reached out to Amazon to ask if Thompson would address this on air tonight. And their response was, quote, she was telling a story from 15 years ago, end quote. So, I mean, okay, that's cool. Uh, Obviously, I find that abhorrent because, I mean, you're trusted with being one of the few people who have access to NFL coaches and players during and after games. And to admit that you just made stuff up, I mean, you're just better off keeping your mouth shut and not exposing yourself to that kind of ridicule. And, I mean, what kind of credibility do you carry now? What else have you made up? See, that's the question in my mind, whether it's her or some guy or whoever else. What other stuff have you made up in your time as a so-called reporter? Um, boy, I tell you, I, I don't know. I don't know how the people at Fox feel about that information. Obviously, the people at Amazon uh, don't have a problem with it if she's going to be on the air tonight. But how can you how can you look at somebody? I mean, you know, it, it would be just – it would be like – well, you know, any reporter that covers uh, a sport on a full-time basis and gives you nightly reports, gives you nightly information, and then just bluntly says, maybe not on their air but somewhere else, yeah, you know, a lot of that stuff I just made up. It would be like coming on this show and just saying, you know, I was over at Clemson, I was over at South Carolina, I didn't get a chance to listen in or be involved with the press conference. So I just made up what the coaches said. I just made up the information and put it out there because this is what they probably would have said, you know, which, of course, you actually interview somebody. You don't know what they're going to say as much as I would say 99 percent of the halftime interviews coming in, going out of locker rooms are a waste of time. And you do just get the routine jargon as she pointed out she just made it up you get that routine stuff occasionally occasionally you get gold you do get gold in the right circumstances and we've all seen it before with coaches and players so I mean first of all she needs to I would say on her broadcast tonight she needs to come out and apologize number one to her followers and to her audience for admitting to making up and to her bosses and to the NFL, you know, I mean, this is not the end of the world. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's like, you know, going to end broadcast television by any means, but you have that kind of access. You have that, that press pass to give you that kind of 
uh, access and you have a job to do, um, that's not doing it well. And that's not living up to the expectations of what that press pass, what that credential grants you. So I, I think it's, I, I think it's beyond bad for that, for a person, for a NFL reporter uh, to, to do it. And then, I mean, stupid to admit it. Nobody knew about it apparently until she said it on a podcast and uh, why you would put that out there and does it damage your reputation? Maybe it does in the eyes of some, whether it's her or somebody else, it does in my eyes because you trust these people to be looking in the camera and giving it to you straight. You trust us to speak into the microphone and give it to you straight. Just not make up something and, and throw it out there in the hope that it, it sticks and, and you know, okay, you just nod your head and you move on. I mean, that just cuts into the very basic heart of what journalism is all about, which just goes to tell us that, you know, more and more journalism is just being ripped out of, uh, of, of everything we do in trying to cover teams and individuals this year because you got so many different um, people and outlets involved that don't know the first thing about journalism. But this person should know journalism. If you're working for Fox or CBS or ABC or ESPN or any of those organizations, you should have been vetted and you should know the difference between fact and lie. And she flat out lied. And I can't believe she's getting away with it. But she is. And I think maybe we know why. All right, break is coming up here on Sports Talk. And that's no lie. And we'll be back after the top of the hour. We've got the recruiting report coming up. A bottom of the hour, Will and the Thrill will be with us. And um, we'll hear from some Gamecocks and Tigers, too, as we work that in. It is a big Thursday here on Sports Talk. We're back after the top of the hour break. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on a big Thursday night. Good to have you with us. If you're just joining us, Mr. Terrific First Hour, Mike Morgan was with us from down at Spurrier's Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida. He's got Florida, Florida State tomorrow night. Then he's off to do NFL action on Sunday. Where's he heading? San Francisco. Heard y'all talking. I think he's heading out to San Francisco. So he's got a little NFL radio and college basketball TV for him. Ben Portnoy was with us after Mike as we discussed things happening in the college football world as he was up at Penn State last weekend. So he was there for Penn State, Michigan. We covered that, talked about other things happening around college football with the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, James Madison suing the NCAA, the Attorney General of Virginia, trying to get involved as well to get James Madison to a bowl game, et cetera, et cetera. So we covered all that. We've got recruiting coming up. Plus, we'll hear from Will Shipley in uh, just a moment. And uh, also, we'll hear from Vershawn Lee of South Carolina as we get you ready for South Carolina and Kentucky and Clemson, North Carolina. You want to jump on board? Take some phone calls, 888 
898-2525 is the number. That is the South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. We'll have Will and the Thrill coming your way at the bottom of the hour as well. I want to remind you, if you're thinking about your summer vacation already, make sure you give Jimmy Smith a call at James Smith Realty online at Pauly's Vacation Rentals. Dot com And that phone number is 843-237-4246 for your perfect beach getaway. Beautiful beaches, Pawleys Island, Litchfield, Garden City, Surfside, Myrtle Beach. They handle all those areas. So just make that one phone call. Jimmy or a member of his staff, they'll work hand-in-hand with you. 843-237-4246 and PawleysVacationRentals.com. That's how you can reach them underway at the Colonial Life Arena and what will likely be a route, South Carolina women off to a 9-2 lead on Clemson. And they are about just over three minutes in to the first quarter. The Gamecocks have hit four of their first five. They've hit three of four from three. They forced a couple of turnovers. They've scored three points off turnovers. And um, they've got four assists on their four field goals, and now they just hit another one. It's 14-2, to two. USC women all over the Clemson women. Clemson calls a timeout at the six-and-a-half-minute mark of, of the very first quarter. So Dawn Staley has got her team off and running and leading the way so far, Tahina Pow-Pow. Uh, she's three for three and three for three. She's got nine points and uh, nine of the 14 points, and she's got them, and she's hit three from downtown. Phil, regarding this game, you mentioned earlier this is kind of a barometer game for the Clemson program just to see what level of improvement they have made. Last season, the final score between the Gamecocks and the Tigers was 85-31. to 31. So the Gamecocks won by 54 points. If it's closer than that, is that a is that a win? Or like, I don't mean to be funny, but it no, is like, it's no. funny. But it's just like, yeah. how are we judging that level of success? If they lose, but only by twenty, is that a success? Because that's still a thirty point increase from last year. Or I guess just how how do you think Tiger fans out there should feel about their program if this is a barometer type game? Well, I think it is a barometer type game because Amanda Butler has been at Clemson long enough. And I mean, no, I don't think it's margin. I think it's uh, competitive nature. Got it. Are they going to be competitive? You know, are they going to push the Gamecocks? Are they going to do some things from a basketball standpoint to to test them? And I would say thus far, though they're only two and a half minutes in or three and a half minutes in, that answer would be no. But, you know, you got a ways to go. So uh, we'll see what happens. But South Carolina has jumped out to the quick lead over the Tigers 14-2. to two. And before we get to that audio, have a couple of news notes about the Atlanta Braves. Correct me, though, I don't believe we've mentioned these, have we? Have not. Okay, first of all, earlier today it was announced that the Atlanta Braves have been awarded the 2025 Major League Baseball All-Star Game, so that's really exciting for all those involved, local businesses and the Braves themselves, and just residents nearby. Keep in mind, just a few years ago, the Braves had that All-Star Game stripped from them, so it's nice to see them get rewarded that. And then also, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves was announced as the National League MVP just a little while ago, receiving 12 votes out of 13. Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers received that other vote. And just to show how competitive of an NL MVP race it was this year, even though Acuna got 12 of the 13 votes, Matt Olson led the majors with 54 home runs. He led the majors with 139 RBIs. 
led the National League in slugging, played in all 162 games for the Braves, had a 7.4 wins above replacement, and he wasn't even a finalist for the really? NL MVP. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Hard to hard to vote against Acuna there. Um, and wasn't there some uh, – there was some strong talk about one of the Braves being the uh, the rookie of the year. Didn't they have somebody in conversation about rookie of the year? Or am I thinking about the previous year? Um, I, I believe you. I believe you are right. And the rookie of the year, though, uh, and you may have been thinking year, years past with Michael Harris, um, but this year, uh, Carroll of the Diamondbacks, Corbin Carroll, he was and he kind of ran away with it this year. He mm-hmm. won that, and it, it wasn't particularly close. Shohei Otani won the American League MVP, and that was unanimous, which. I did not. I'm not surprised that Otani won, but it is a bit surprising that he won unanimously, especially because he missed the back end of the season after having sustaining a, an unfortunate elbow injury. I believe he's having to have Tommy John, or already did have Tommy John surgery, and is not expected to pitch next year. But he will be a batter. But he still ran away with that award and was the unanimous AL MVP. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, I saw where um, the Braves pitcher uh, who was with Clemson came in fourth. In the Cy Young Award balloting? Strider. Yeah. yeah, his ERA was just a bit too high. He ran away with the strikeout lead uh, in all the majors, but his his ERA continued to climb there toward, towards the end of the season. All right, uh, 888-898-2525. We can take a quick phone call. Uh, what you got? Uh, hang on a second. We'll do that in just a second. Uh, and then we're going to get to um, – we're going to hear from Will Shipley, Clemson running back here coming up. 14-4 to now, South Carolina – has a 10-point lead over Clemson early in that ball game, And we go to Bobby and Casey. Okay, Bobby, welcome in. Good to have Phil. you on Sports Talk tonight. How are you? Hello, Phil. I'm just calling and wish you a belated happy birthday. It's been busy at the store. I know it was Tuesday. I couldn't come on the last two nights. Sorry about that. I'm glad you're busy. Well, I'm making an honest living, Phil. <laughs> That's good. That's I don't. Good. I don't cheat at golf. I don't cheat at golf, Phil. I don't play golf. I'm always working. And and you wouldn't lie if you were covering an NFL team and you were the halftime interviewer. You wouldn't just make it up. No, no that's called yellow, yellow journalism, sensationalism. So we've lost that in this country. Yeah, I call it. I call I mean, it, it flat is, out lying. I don't even know what. what uh, there's no other way to spin it. You just flat out lied about something, and I yeah. I can't yeah. believe you still got a job, but I guess you do. Yeah, Phil, the real reason for my call, I just wanted to say on behalf of James Madison, them and North Dakota State were the two wealthiest FCS programs. North Dakota State was trying to get to FBS. They decided to stay. Of course, in that state, they frack for Shell and oil. There's a lot of donors donating oil money there. But James Madison's an impossible part of the country in the Shenandoah Valley. And I just want to say three letters to you, and you're old enough to know, CFA. Hmm. Since the NCAA is a big toothless cougar, not the Houston Cougars, that maybe at one point you could see a lot of Power Five and other programs say, we're going to make our own Super League, kind of like a minor league NFL. And the CFA could be born again, reborn. Because yeah. remember what, the 80s or late 70s, ABC and Brent Pressburger were trying to make somewhat of a breakaway college football league, kind of like the WFL, the World Football League, and the NFL in the past, the NBA, the AWHA, NHL. Yeah. That was kind of the fad, the craze of the 70s, and then for people who are older, the AFL, NFL, which fell, merged in 1970. 
So, I mean, that's interesting to CFA. And at one point, they were talking about, like, franchising and spinning off, like, Alabama Crimson Tide, but the players were, you know, not going to be in school but representing the university by playing. So, I mean, that was said years ago, but you might be seeing that coming to fruition because everybody's frustrated with the NCAA, which is, you know, they pick and choose, whatever. And, I mean, I'll listen to you more off the air before, you know, your next guest to see if you have any opinion on that. Well, I hear what you're saying, and and thanks for the call. We appreciate it. That was back in, like, uh, 86 or so when all that was going on. But here's your next question. Okay, let's just say, you know, you feel like James Madison has a right. Let's just use that as an example. You feel like even though there's rules in place and they knew that when they signed up and they agreed to those rules, but now they're fighting those rules. Okay. And let's say, as um, you were mentioning, uh, we're going to see the end of the NCAA as an organization. You're going to see a group of, of, of teams go off, form another organization, call it whatever you want to, and they'll have 65, 70, however many teams they happen to have. Well, now are they going to have a set of rules? Okay, are they going to have a set of rules, or is it just going to be do as you see fit and have anarchy and try and live within anarchy? I don't know how you do that. But I would imagine they would have a set of rules. So what's going to stop somebody from within that organization, that new organization, because they feel like they're getting shafted somehow on some issue to not challenge those rules and take those rules to court and a court rule in their favor, and you shoot down those rules. I mean, where where does it end on nobody having authority over anybody? A private company still cannot break, they cannot violate U.S. law. It doesn't matter that they're a private company. That doesn't, that doesn't mean they have the right to then do something illegal against their employees. But what law are they breaking? Specifically, and I actually got a quote right here from the, uh, this just came out a little while ago, from the law firm that's now, uh, been engaged in with the Attorney General Jason Mayares says, quote, we are prepared to act on behalf of JMU in the unfortunate circumstance that JMU's request for relief is not timely approved. Specifically, JMU is prepared to promptly file a lawsuit in the Western District of Virginia asserting that the bowl ban violates the antitrust and potentially other laws, which is what I was what I was citing earlier, thinking this this reminds me a lot of what went to the U.S. Supreme Court just a few years ago regarding NIL and the NCAA rules violating the player's right to earn a living and make money. And this seems to be along those same lines that that rule, no matter how long it's been there, that does not give the NCAA the right to break somebody or to break a law that is in our country. And if this rule does violate the antitrust laws, then I would think the courts are going to side with with JMU. Could be wrong, but that's that's what's certainly reading here a little bit. Well, you you might very well be right. I mean, the courts have, I mean, they are undefeated against the NCAA. You know, the NCAA, I think, has lost in every argument that has gone before the court. So maybe those rules are antiquated for today's world, uh, and they've got to be uh, completely uh, rewritten. But it sounds to me like you have no authority. You put a rule in place. Uh, which is typical for college. I mean, they put rules in place, and part of the problem and part of the reason that the NCAA is in the situation it is today is because they've never stuck to their rules. They put a rule in place about transferring, and, of course, they started giving waivers out like uh, chocolate candy uh, and made those rules uh, worthless, and they get abused. So when you start not sticking to the uh, letter of the law of your rules and people start abusing them, uh, and then – 
you see what happens. They want right. more, and you 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 it you eventually um, lose your grasp over the people you're supposed to be, um, right? Ruling over. I mean, there's got to be there's got to be a governing body. There's got to be a set of rules. If not, I mean, the NFL has rules. Uh, every professional league has a set of rules. Now they have been challenged from time to time, and I guess sometimes some individuals and some teams have won against those against those leagues because when you start getting into things like antitrust and business laws and all that, you might find some way of of, of shooting down those rules. Um, but you know what? You might be just right. The 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 courts, and I imagine they're going to go to a favorable a favorable court, a favorable judge so, yeah. in the state of Virginia. And then the the NCAA, if they wanted to, they'll probably come back with a um, – try to get some sort of injunction to uh, to stop that from happening, and round and round we'll go here. Yep. You're probably going to see the James Madison football team in limbo. Yeah, sadly, that's probably what's going to happen. This may end up going all the way to the Supreme Court, and, and that may take, I mean, years potentially. So this, this could take a while, and by that point, the two-year – timeline will, will have expired so it won't really matter anymore and just i know we need to go to break but one last just thought on this and maybe i'm too far with it but i've thought this for decades now the ncaa acts a lot like the old school mobs they sure remind me a lot of mafioso groups in old old school movies where they basically go they make you sign on the dotted line hey if you mm-hmm. want to play football you got to sign here doesn't matter if our rules violate law. doesn't matter if, if you get screwed in the end. You have to sign this on this dotted line or you're not going to be able to compete for championships. You're not going to be able to play in our little clubhouse. And I think it's long past due that people are standing up to them. And I think part of the reason why we haven't seen this more in the past is people are terrified. People were scared of them in the past. Universities, athletes alike, were scared to stand up to the bully in the room because they didn't want to risk no longer being able to play sports. But the NCAA, for, for years and years now, has reached their hands into the cookie jars of every single school across the country. They get a piece of every single pie, every TV dollar, everything that comes in. The NCAA gets a part of that. And I think a lot of people are starting to open up. Again, I, I point back to 2020, and I think a lot of folks finally had that moment of clarity like, what the hell are we doing? Why are we letting this bully b- push us around and dictate how we can play sports and how we can make money for ourselves? And I think you're starting to see – a lot of that come into into play now, and this is just the next step, the next domino to fall. Well, I hear you. I don't totally disagree. My argument is based on the simple fact that they knew the rules going in, and now because they're in the position they're in, they were willing to accept the rules when they joined uh, and they moved up to the FBS level. I'm sure that that process included knowing everything that would happen moving forward. You know, you are ineligible for this, this, and this for this number of years. Do you accept this? Yes, we certainly do. Uh, okay, and now all of a sudden they're having a great year and they want to go against the rules and shoot down the rules that they accepted. And I think that's a bit um, – I mean, if you think you're doing that for the greater good of everybody involved, okay, um, and maybe there's no reason, you know – Maybe the NCAA doesn't have a good reason for prohibiting teams that are transitioning from FCS to FBS. Maybe there's no good reason for preventing them to going to postseason play. But as Ben pointed out and touched on, uh, we had that situation in basketball last year where a league winner who won the tournament was ineligible for the NCAA tournament because they were in a transition year. And they didn't challenge, and they had to sit out even though they won their league tournament. So the 
another team from that league got to get into the NCAA tournament. And there are other teams that we have seen. I think Georgia Southern was another one um, that came up through the transition, had a good year, could have gone to a bowl game but couldn't. But James Madison, I guess, feels like, you know, they're going to be a martyr here and take it, take the bullet or either win the case and, and move forward. My problem is with the fact that you agreed to something and you understood the rule and it was okay then, but now it's not okay. I think that's um, it's a lot of self-serving and not thinking about the entire organization. But maybe, maybe it's a bad rule. Maybe it needs to be shut down. we got to hit the break on Sports Talk. Uh, when we come back, some comments from Vershawn Lee. USC offensive lineman, happy that he knows the four guys on the line with him now from week to week after the Gamecocks for uh, their first, uh, let's see, how many weeks? Their first ten weeks, first nine weeks or so, had a different starting offensive line from the first week. But now they seem to be set, and we'll be back. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions played it for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow-roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at seacattle.org. Beef. It's what's for dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. Hi, this is Lisa Hostetler-Brown. If you or a loved one are over 65 and haven't completed a long-term care planning consultation, now is the time. Did you know that if you aren't able to afford the high cost of skilled care, your assets can be rapidly depleted to only $2,000 unless you plan five years in advance? Visit LawyerLisa.com to see how we can help. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Football season is upon us, and that means Columbia is welcoming fans from around the corner and across the country. No matter where you're from, Gamecocks love coming together for game day energy that can only be found in South Carolina's capital city. Book hotel rooms, find pre- and post-game activities, and plan your tailgate spread with local favorites from pimento cheese to barbecue at experiencecolumbiasc.com. We'll see you soon, and go Gamecocks! Farm Bureau Insurance's agricultural roots and ties to South Carolina farmers have shaped the company's culture and work ethic, providing a unique customer experience. Customers are treated like people, not policies. Now, while other insurance companies may have a one-size-fits-all approach to handling customers, we believe you need to be valued and treated right. Our claims professionals work until the job is done, and our agents still believe in the commitment that comes with a handshake. Call Buddy Bridges and Clinton and Lawrence at 864-923-217 for all of your auto, home, and life insurance needs. 
Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. I want you to want me. All right, coming up on the bottom of the hour over at the Colonial Life Arena. <laughs> yeah. It's Yowza. 40 to 6. Whew. It was 31 to 6 at the end of a quarter. The Gamecocks scored the first nine of the second quarter. It is 40 to 6. Clemson is 3 of 21. That's 14%. 0 of 8 from 3. The Gamecocks have scored 14 points off turnovers. The Tigers, none. The Gamecocks are out-rebounding Clemson 26-7, including 10 offensive boards for nine second-chance points, in the paint 22-4, and on and on and on. 40-6, and they've played 13 minutes. Uh, quickly, let's go to Bruce out in Missouri. Got about a minute before the break. Bruce, welcome in. Hey, hey Phil. Appreciate you taking my call this uh, so quick, I'm going to just um, reiterate the North Carolina situation with the African-American college there. And what they were doing there was underhanded. Uh, there was no curriculum formed, just a secretary at the, at the desk of some uh, a professor or some vice president that was basically uh, tutor to these uh African-American, uh, uh, you know, students. You're talking about the so, North Carolina case? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so one of their... Why, did, one, why one, didn't they jump... Why didn't the NCAA jump into that thing on top of uh, what was going on with the curriculum uh, people that were looking at the well, curriculum? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The Enforcement Committee, and thank you for your call, which was led at that time by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, they said that... It wasn't in their jurisdiction. They said it was not for the NCAA uh, to rule in this case. It was an academic situation, which was uh, beyond the scope of what their authority uh, was at that time. So that's why they didn't pursue it. Be back after the break. All right, it's 48-9 over the uh, Colonial Life Arena, South Carolina all over Clemson in uh, the second quarter, 416 to go. In just a moment, we'll connect with uh, Will and the Thrill, but I promised some comments from Gamecock offensive lineman Vershawn Lee, Gamecock offensive line, hoping to stay healthy and uh, have the same group running out there 
these last uh, couple of games to see if they can continue to improve. Lee met with the media earlier this week. Vershawn, you guys have been banged up, not just on the offensive line, but it seems like offense in general, and a lot of younger players have had to step up, and DJ Braswell will likely be one of those guys these next couple of days. What can you tell us about just the growth and just trying to you know, help a young running back, especially since there's that rapport between an O-line and a running back? Um, it's just been like we've been emphasizing the next man up mentality, you know, helping him get some more reps, you know, talking to him, make sure he sees what we see so we be on the same th- – page regarding pass protection run plays and make sure he understands like the way other running backs would hit he could try to do the same thing and take it and do his own little flair to it uh you guys were able to start the same five up front two weeks in a row for the first time all year what does that kind of do for an offensive line when you know the guy i guess in your case on your left is the same as it was a couple weeks in a row um it's it's i guess it feels good i mean i played left guard ended up playing a little bit of left guard in the jacksonville state game so you still got to be prepared to move anywhere and be next to anybody. So just being able to stay close as a unit and continue the continuity as an O-line just is a very important thing. This team was in a similar position last year, headed into an intimidating last couple of games. That obviously worked out well for y'all. Are you able to draw back on that experience at all, headed into these two last ones? Uh, Yeah. You know, we just got to focus on the next play up, next game up, the next team. We can't focus on anything. We can't focus on the future. All we got to do is focus on this week. So that's the main thing we've been focused on. Last year there was a lot of you know off field interest with this game when with the coach Beamer thing and the sunglasses and all that. Yeah. Uh, does that stuff? Is, did, does the team talk about that stuff at all? Do y'all you joke about it? Where, where are you guys? Kind of uh, we we're yeah. just we right now we just being focused. You know we locked in on the game. We're not really focused on anything outside of it right now. You know we might use that as a little bit of like extra motivation or something. But right now we're just focused on the game. Rashawn, um, so with the running back situation the way it is, Shane said that they were trying to limit you know, the workload for Mario and DJ in practice. Just how do you guys overcome that in practice? Is it more reps for the other guys or you just not do as much running plays? Um, You know, you could just – just more – well, we still get good reps, you know. So it's just more so focused on the intent and the intensity of the rep. So we make sure that every every time we do something, we walk through it, we look at the rep in the meeting room. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing we do no matter if we was limited or – not limited. We just we're focusing on every rep and every look, try to get the stuff down pat. So you're not distracted by any of the outside stuff going on. Is that mean you're not excited for uh, Darude, the creator of Sandstorm, to be in town? I heard, I heard them talking about him. I mean, I, I, I'll probably, if I see him, I'll probably be a little excited for, like, the energy he brings. It's probably going to be crazy now that he's going to be there. He might, like, turn the crowd up even more. But they already beat her all the time, and it's a night game. All right, USC offensive lineman. Vershawn Lee, looking forward to the game against Kentucky coming up on Saturday. 50 to 11. USC women have hit 50 at the 249 mark of the second quarter as they continue to pile it up on Clemson. Pow, pow with 11. Every Gamecock has scored except Raven Johnson. Every Gamecock who's entered the game has scored except uh, Raven Johnson. So I would say this one is pretty much in the bag. Let's welcome in. Here on Sports Talk, once again, we bring in former Gamecock Carl Hill and former Tiger Will Merritt to discuss the Gamecock and Clemson issues of the day. Carl, welcome in. How are you? Doing very well, sir. How about yourself? Doing okay. You keeping an eye on that women's game? Man, little boy, and I'm like, have them boys up there beat us in anything in the last year and a half? <laughs> That's awful what we're doing to them up there, man. I almost feel sorry, but 
I don't. <laughs> uh, Will, <laughs> w- welcome in. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, guys, and I hope you are. We are. We are. Uh, Will, we missed you last week. Glad you're back with us this week. Want to catch you up yeah. on what the Tigers have done the last couple sure. of weeks, that Georgia Tech win, that Notre Dame win? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's kind of interesting, and I'll just kind of preface everything by just saying, you know, it was, it was a couple of tough weeks for Clemson to be on the road and, and having two tough losses, and, and but then it just shows you what kind of home field advantage can do for you. You get back home, you beat a top 15 team in Notre Dame, then, you know, you, you get have a great win against Georgia State. In my opinion, the most complete game they've played all year. It just shows you when you get back in your in it, to a comfortable environment, um, a lot of times it, it, it plays with your the, the psyche of how you play the game, and Clemson very rarely loses at home. And obviously their one you know loss this year at home is to a, a really good FSU team in overtime. So they play well in the Valley. And um, I think that bodes well for South Carolina in next week. Of course, we'll talk about that game in the future. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that they've – they they've really they came into their own as far as be, letting the home crowd get behind them. You know, you never know about those noon games. And um, as a player, I loved them. I mean, I loved them. I love waking up and just going and getting after it. As a fan, a lot of times, you know, you don't there is you don't know if you're gonna have that type of juice. But with Notre Dame and Georgia Tech and everything that Clemson still has on the table to play for, um, Phil, I thought that the Georgia Tech game was as complete of game as we've played. And, and honestly, it came from out of nowhere. I mean, you think about three of our six touchdowns came from either freshmen or redshirt freshmen. You know, and look at how many freshmen and redshirt freshmen made huge plays in the secondary. So, I mean, it was a lot of really, really young guys. And obviously, they'll have to have a repeat performance in order to do that this uh, this week. But I thought it was it was pretty dominant for three quarters. And then, of course, Debo called the dogs off. There were some guys that were playing in the fourth quarter I'd never even heard of. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I was like, well, where are they? You know, where the, they're not even on my roster sheet. And so um, – uh, but, I mean, that, that's what you want to do. That's how you build a program. But I just thought the, the young guys stepped up and the, the line of scrimmage was just coming at on Clemson's behalf. And Georgia Tech's been kind of known to be pretty balanced as well. Uh, Carl, the Gamecocks uh, had their get-right weeks, Jacksonville State. Uh, they survived that, and they took care of business against Vanderbilt. And I guess the, the big story – one of the big stories, besides what Xavier Leggett and Spencer Rattler continue to do, is the fact for the first time all season, in back-to-back weeks, they were able to trot out the same five starting offensive linemen. That's got to be big for them heading down the stretch here of these last two games. You're 100% right. This is this would be the third week that our offensive line group is starting. We're getting healthy. We're getting a couple of linebackers back, a couple of secondary guys back. We're, we're, we're probably as healthy as we've been since we started the season early on. So right now we feel really good. I, this, this Kentucky team, the thing I said last week in order for South Carolina to kind of win these last four games, the offense, stop getting in second and long, get in second and five and manageable. And if we can do that, I thought we had a chance to win. And if we do that, there's not a team that can outscore us that's left on our schedule if we can do the same style of play offensively. Defensively, they're changing something in, in practice because what these guys are doing now is totally different. You can, you can see some growth. Our defensive line is probably the best. They're, every offensive line we go against, 
our defensive line is going to be better. So I, I kind of like our chances going down the stretch. Oh, you're because it is a November to remember. Yeah, you're you're feeling you're feeling kind of salty. Uh, maybe they feel like they found something in in Bam Martin Scott there at linebacker. Um, what about Rattler and Leggett? Uh, they're getting uh, Trey Knox back uh, this week. Uh, the the injury report from Beamer tonight on his call in show. Uh, nobody knew has been added. We knew Trey Jones was going to be out. The others who have been out remain out. So that's that's good news for them. But as they as they prepare for this Kentucky team and then Clemson, you know their defensive coaches know that you got to take away Leggett to really minimize what South Carolina can do offensively because they really don't give you that much of a threat yet in the running game where you have to worry that much about it, do they? And, and, and you're right, but but you can kind of you can stop a defensive coaching staff from game planning you by on first down. If you make second down, second and five, they can't do nothing. The field's too wide open. You can't defend anybody because you just you don't know what we can do. So the South Carolina key again this week is kind of what I've been preaching. If you get in the second and five, our offense is good enough that we're diverse enough that you can't stop us from that point. I, I like that. And I don't care. You can't double him. Only time you can double your Leggett is when it's in third and long, second and long. You stay out of that, that situation and you dictate what the defense is going to do, which is they pretty much have to play a base defense. You can't send pressure on third and five. Unless you're a dumb coach, you, so you have to play a you got to play a vanilla your base defense, and and that's in our that's that fits right up South Carolina's alley. It opens the field up. Will um, they got Shipley back last week? He didn't start. Moffa yeah. did. Moffa had a big game. Shipley talked about that this week, and he and Moffa are best friends. Uh, he's a very competitive guy. He said, and obviously he wants his friend to do well, but he doesn't like standing on the sideline. How do you think the coaches are going to handle this moving forward now that Shipley is fully healthy? I think it's actually one of the best problems you can have. Um, I, I think you got two guys that just are craving to be on the field, and therefore every time they touch the touch the rock, they they want to do something spectacular with it. Now, obviously, Shipley Blake brings a little bit different of an element because I mean, if you look from a receiving standpoint, I think I think he's fourth or fifth somewhere in the top five in receiving. I mean, the guy can catch the football, you know, and so he's a threat out of the backfield, you know, uh, grabbing the ball and yards after the catch, um, not just between the tackles. Obviously, he's got the power, you know, to, to push the pile and move move the move the sticks. But uh, I kind of think it's a great problem. I mean, if you got two guys that are just pulling for each other at the same time. They, they still want to and they're out there, that means their legs are going to be churning at the end of every play trying to get one more yard or bust one loose or have a big play or whatever it happens to be. I don't really see it as a threat to each other. I think it's a, absolutely a great problem to have, uh, you know, two horses in the stable that absolutely want to get in the race. And, you know, there's only one football field. You know that, and that's been an age-old problem for a lot of people. But I don't necessarily see it as a huge problem as much as an asset. Are you concerned facing Drake May Saturday and uh, excellent running back receiver Hampton? 
and some of these other guys North Carolina has, Taz Walker, at wide receiver, another. A really yep. good, really good tight end as a receiver. So, and you started, you ran like, I don't know, a bunch of, of freshmen out there in the secondary against Georgia Tech. Now, you could get away with it because your defensive front manhandled Tech and got in on King and didn't give him any room. But this is right. a, kind of a different animal. Uh, can can that work for Clemson Saturday with that young secondary? Uh, do you expect the defensive front, Xavier Thomas and Maskell and those guys to party in the backfield at North Carolina once again? Well, you know, I don't necessarily think it's going to be as easy to get to May as it was last week. Now, here, here, let me just tell you, uh, as far as an offensive concern, yes. You asked the initial question is, are you ever concerned about Drake May? Of course. A guy that's thrown for 3,200 yards and 21 touchdowns this year, you, if you're not scared of that kid, I mean, what, what, he's completing 60, over 65% of his passes. I mean, he's an athlete, and he's a great quarterback. But I think the interesting thing about uh, him is that he's got play makers everywhere, man. I mean, you talk about Hampton. This is a 1,300-yard guy. I mean, he, he can he can run, mm-hmm. man. And he is nasty out of the backfield. And he is quick to the corner. And you mentioned their wide receiving core with, you know, Walker and Jones and Nesbitt and all those guys. It's not just the fact that they got a bunch of catches. Look at what they've done statistically. It's not that they just catch the ball. They're catching it for 16, 17, 18 yards at a clip. So they put pressure on your secondary big time. So, yes, I thought our freshman and sophomore guys last year, I mean last week, were fantastic. I really do. Um, but, you know, God, this is a different animal. And I'm telling you, North Carolina, uh, they're 8-2 and two and top 20 or whatever they are in the, in the country for a reason. Um, they've had really good wins this year. A couple of – they've stubbed their toe a couple of times. But, Phil, yeah, I mean, you asked me a question if, if – you should be worried about Drake May? Absolutely you should be worried about Drake May. And you should be worried about the, the three-headed monster that he can go out there and sling it up to, and they get, you know, 15, 20 yards a catch. You know, so that's, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tall task for a secondary, especially when you're throwing freshmen and redshirt freshmen out there all over the place. Uh, 62 to 15, the halftime score. Do we give that? <laughs> 62 to 15, halftime score. Uh, Carl, I hear you chuckling. None of this women's basketball carries over to football. But what about the matchup with Kentucky? You got a quarterback who is um, one of the leading passing quarterbacks in the ACC in terms of uh, – I'm sorry, SEC in terms of touchdown passes. And then they got a big-time running back, of course, uh, who is among uh, the leading rushers in the SEC and also one of the top touchdown makers in the SEC as well. Is the Gamecock defense – I mean, I believe the offense with Rattler and those weapons, they'll be fine. I think they'll score theirs. But will the defense stop Kentucky enough? Or the Gamecocks going to be in one of these Florida-Mississippi State games where they're going to have to score 40-something points to win? I don't think they're going to go 40-something points to win because everybody – Kentucky is not really – they hadn't proven anything. They've beaten Akron, Ball State. They they've not beaten anybody with a winning record, so they're they had they hadn't beaten anybody. They, they, the quarterback is pretty decent. If you get in the red zone, he can make plays. The receivers don't scare you at all. Running back number one, he's a beast, but he he's almost at a thousand yards. But half half of those yards came in three games, and he had big games. So you don't really know how good he really is. Their offensive line is not that good. So defensively, 
this is a game you want to play because you don't have to worry about the outside because there is no threat outside. The only threat is it's down the middle, the running back and the quarterback with an average offensive line. The way our defense is playing, I kind of feel real comfortable about how we're playing the last few weeks. And I think since they don't propose a threat other than running the ball, and we don't know how good that is because, again, most of the runs have come on three plays, three games. I don't know. I, I like our chances defensively. I think we can slow them down enough to outscore them for sure. Mm. You say they haven't beaten anybody. Tell me who y'all have beaten this year. I mean, Vanderbilt, Jacksonville State, I mean, Mississippi State. You want to sit there and talk about Kentucky not beating anybody. Furman. Y'all hadn't beaten – uh, Furman? Yeah. Okay, congratulations on your big four wins. So, I mean, you, you can't sit there and go, they haven't beaten anybody, and you're sitting there going, we're – We've got four huge wins over Furman, Jacksonville State, and Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. What the dag do? Know, hey, Carl, he makes I, a good point. Like he, he makes a good point. Uh, he, he, he does make a point, but however, I will say this. Two of our wins is better than any one of theirs. So that's the point. We're talking about them and us. Furman would be anybody on their schedule that they've beaten. And the state to be anybody on their schedule they beat. So, That's comical. Again, That's comical. You asked me to prove my point. I just did. <laughs> Notre Dame does exist. Right. Are, are you talking yeah, about? Are you talking about Kentucky schedule or Clemson schedule? Yes, I'm talking about. I ain't talking about Clemson. I'm talking about Kentucky. Yeah, it's about Kentucky schedule. <laughs> I'm comparing okay. who we beat and who Kentucky beat. And I said they hadn't beaten anybody. And Will, he's right. We hadn't beaten anybody. But Furman will beat anybody on their schedule. And I think Jacksonville State will, too, that they that Kentucky has won against. So our win's better than they win since we're in a, a pot contest. Hey, are y'all, y'all going to have a side of delusional with your turkey on Thanksgiving? Is that what you're going to do? It's possible. Hey, you, gotta, you gotta watch out. Your time coming next week, Bo. Which reminds oh, okay. me. All which right. reminds me, we got to wrap. So let me get the uh, latest reading on the rivalry meter from the two of you. Uh, Will, what you got at this yep. stage on your rivalry meter reading? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're a better football team. I really do. I think defensively, I don't, I don't know. I mean. I don't. I don't know that South Carolina could move the football a ton on us defensively. I, I, I'll give us a seven and a half uh, to win that game. The only, I think with the one big thing Carolina's got going for them, Billy Bryce is a tough place to play at night for sure. It's going to be cold. It's going to be loud. That place is going to be rocking. I mean, and they're if they win against Kentucky, then they have an enormous amount of things to play for. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is a bowl game on the line. That you beat Clemson and you go to a bowl. I mean, that would salvage a season uh, for, for Coach Beamer and and a guy that I respect and, and love a whole lot. I, I just won't love him a whole lot, to, you know, next Saturday night. But I will say this, uh, that is a tough place to play. I've played there many times. And um, I, I know it's it's hard at night, and it'll be rocking. And But I still think we're a better football team. I give it seven, seven and a half point chance to win. All right, Carl, what is your rivalry meter reading tonight? And we are, we we we're going to agree tonight about one thing. He's one hundred percent right. We got a lot to play for. We still got an opportunity to go to a bowl game. We have an opportunity to have a winning season. We have an opportunity to be the state champions. And with all that being said, I just think 
we playing at night, baby. These last two games at night in the cockpit. I'm feeling real comfortable, but Will is right again. They got more talent than us, so I'm still going to have a little bit of trepidations in picking. So I'm still sticking my 45%. I'm 4.5, 45. I'm still around there until next week. All right, we'll see how you feel after this weekend, guys. We thank you. Uh, we will talk to you next Wednesday. I'll I'll send you a text. We'll set it up. We'll plan on next Wednesday if that works for y'all. And have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Sounds good. Y'all have a wonderful weekend and safe travels. Thank you, Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, Will. Thank, thank you, guys. No thank call. you, Carl. Enjoyed it. Great having you with us. We got to move quickly. Let's give you the recruiting report tonight. It is brought to you by our good friends over at Seawells. And, of course, we want you to get out for the daily luncheon buffet at Seawells. Tomorrow, a big day. It is a roast beef Friday at Seawells. Make sure you hit that up for only $14. Uh, They'll be serving from 11 till 2. And for the catering side of things, give Seawells a call to help you out with your catering needs. 803-771-7385 is the number. Receiver David Rodriguez in the 25 class, 6'1", 165 out of Providence, Rhode Island. Has been in South Carolina this week, went home today. Grandmother lives up in Greenville, and his plan was to visit USC and then go to the football game Saturday. Instead, he visited USC Tuesday and then Clemson Wednesday, then had to go back home for school. Not coming back, he does not believe, for the football game. Both of the visits beneficial for both teams and their recruitment of him. Uh, likes them both, likes both receiving coaches, sees a spot for himself on both sides in terms of uh, the slot receiver or playing, in, in Clemson's case, they said slot receiver or outside receiver, and is building relationships with the coaching staffs at both places, likes both campuses, likes the academics at both places as well. So uh, both of them are uh, up there uh, with him, and South Carolina – is the one that has offered him. Now, he is close to um, the uh, quarterback commitment at uh, Clemson, Bobby Hebert, and he's also close to the quarterback commitment at South Carolina, Dante Reno. Uh, Rodriguez took in games at Michigan and Florida this season. He does not have plans for any more games. The next step in the recruiting process for him is to make his decision And he says he plans on making the decision, as he put it, real soon. Uh, Early next year, he would say something about what he's going to do. He said he does have a pretty good idea on where he wants to go to school. The father of 2025 quarterback Ryan Montgomery of Finlay, Ohio, confirmed today that they will make another visit to USC in January on a date to be determined. They plan to make two to three visits that month, with the other stops still to be determined. After those January visits... They'll be ready to make their commitment this season. He's been to USC, Florida, Auburn, and Penn State for games. Offensive tackle Andrew Dennis of Mount Pleasant, Michigan, will take an official visit to Clemson this weekend. He's a former Michigan State commitment. He made an official visit to Penn State last weekend. Is scheduled to visit Clemson and Purdue, respectively, the following two weekends. Also visiting Clemson this weekend is safety Jonte Gilbert, He is making an unofficial visit. He is in the 25 class. Also scheduled to visit Clemson this weekend are wide receiver T.J. Moore, who is committed. We mentioned the quarterback Hebert. 2026 receiver Jordan Gidron of Ridgeview. Slated to visit South Carolina Saturday. 24 offensive tackle 
Dakare Sumter, Lower Richland, 25 receiver Jackson Rep of Christ Church, 25 center Isaac Souls of Louisville, 26 receiver Jude Hall from Christ Church. And Strom Thurmond receiver Braylon Staley, a Tennessee commitment, going to visit Tennessee this weekend. And that will do it for us. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.